back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and I am here again with my bud, Ryan Pryor, to bring you part three. Week of three. Spectac- yes, spectacular PT-109 saga. So thank you for PT joining us. 109, week three of, we- of four weeks. Of a four, month, yes. A month-long conversation. We're nearing the end. We're nearing the end. We're, we're in the end game now. We are. And we're um, really excited. Yeah. And I think we're 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 about to get into the real stuff, the stuff that is super exciting and super interesting, and I think people are going to find it super compelling. So let's just do it. Let's just talk about it, right? Do we got a drink? I I am not. Uh, it's a Monday <gasps> night, and I drank oh. too much this weekend. Oh. So I'm having um, water. I'm having agua. I feel very bad to say I'm not having agua. I'm having my traditional whiskey sour, and I'd oh. like to note, though, that I am drinking said sour in yes. da, 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 my Kennedy Dynasty whiskey glass, Kennedy which Dynasty. is fantastic. And I'd like to take a second to note that I did a poll on Instagram talking about this glass, and everybody kind of loved it. And well, that was like a post that I did, and then I did a poll asking if anyone would be interested in buying them, and I got a ridiculously overwhelming response of people that want to buy these glasses. So I am currently trying to work out how that would go. It'll probably be like a one-time deal where I'll order in bulk and ship out. So uh, be on the lookout for that on my Instagram page at Kennedy Dynasty because I'm going to roll those out. Well, I'm going to buy one. That's for sure. Ryan, you don't have to buy I'm gonna, one. No, I'm going to buy one. Free. I got to support. You got to support. I got to support. I got to support. You support. <laughs> <laughs> I will send you one for free. <laughs> like, uh, you'll get the first. <laughs> I love it. Go get. Go out and get your Kennedy Dynasty so that you can drink along with our stories. That's what I'm saying. You gotta, I, is that not so cool? Yeah. Like, it, it'll, like the whole promotion will be like, have a drink with us. Hey. Let's talk. I love this. This is fantastic. Um, and also, little side note, for your next whiskey sour, try it with rye whiskey. Get some rye whiskey. Oh. I had yeah. one the other night at this lovely little restaurant downtown in Memphis, and they made it with rye whiskey and vegan egg foam. Hey, that sounds funky. It, well, it, I thought so too, but guess, but I'll tell you what, it was so good. Well, if it's vegan, it's not real eggs, so right. it's not gross. So okay. you don't even have to do it with the egg foam. Just do rye whiskey. Buy a nice rye whiskey. Um, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. Like, what is a, like, it's just, it's at the liquor store. Just get George Dickel or or any other, you know, uh, just a brand. Find the, the, the mid tier brand, a $20 bottle of rye. And, uh, and I would uh, try it. It's rye is smokier and very smooth. Mm -hmm. And yeah, best whiskey sour. And speaking of whiskey sours, whiskey sours have some kind of water in them. And during (laughs) PT109's last mission, there wasn't a lot of water involved, except for the salt water, but the fresh water was what was necessary for survival, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Did, did you was, like that one? That was a reach. That was that another was, reach. That was another um, reach. That was, I mean, yeah, that was a reach, but I, I love what you did there. Nice I, I was trying to get us back on track. I was trying to redirect the ship. <laughs> yeah, because we stay off topic, as we people st- say. So <laughs> Not stiff <laughs> enough. Not stiff enough. Yeah. So, on the night of August the 1st, 1943, Kennedy and a 13-man crew were tasked with what would become the PT-109's last mission. The Navy had received intelligence reports that said that four Japanese destroyers were making a run. Remember we talked about uh, two episodes ago, we talked about the Tokyo Express, or maybe we talked about it last week, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. The Tokyo Express were making a run yeah, towards the, to resupply the Solomon Islands. 
okay? Navy reports had said that there were going to be four destroyers headed that way. Remember, the whole point of the Tokyo Express, as a reminder, was to take non-supply ships, non-ships that weren't designed to supply, like destroyers and frigates, and, and send them quickly overnight from Japanese bases one to another to resupply so that American raids, air raids, couldn't get them. One of the things to understand is that the reason we were able to do this was because America had broken Japanese codes, right? Japanese, like, like encrypted codes. You've heard of like encryption and things like that, like the Enigma codes from, the, from, the, from World War II and the, and the Germans. We had broken those codes year, a year earlier. It was, in fact, those, codes, those broken codes that allowed us to win the Battle of Midway in 1942, Okay, which was a huge victory for the Americans. It was the first major victory uh, for the Americans during the Second World War against the Japanese. Have you seen that movie yet? I have not. I don't generally like war movies because they get it wrong most of the time. Well, I haven't seen it yet, but I want to because Nick Jonas is in it. But, you know, that's really the only reason I want to see it. I actually met, um, you're not, you're going to love this. I didn't meet Nick Jonas. I met one of his backup singers the other night on his most recent world tour. Really? I was there, by the way. I went to the Happiness Begins so store. Or she, Happiness this, Continue, this, I, I, won't, I won't say the name, but she was at a bar in Memphis that I was at for a little concert, a little, <sighs> cl- little show, a little club. So. Oh, that lucky girl, man. I, oh, I'm a, <laughs> lucky girl. I'm a Joe Burrow fan right, for life. That's, it's a problem. That's okay. But anyway, that is really off topic. That deserves that's a That's super off topic. Continuing. We're going to go back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keep going. The, so the United States had broken the Japanese, um, you know, naval codes. And so, uh, again, one of the things you got to realize is, you have you ever seen um, The Imitation Game, the movie about Alan Turing oh, yeah. with uh, uh, Benedict Cucumberbutt? You know him? Mm-hmm. You know that movie? Brenda Dirk, Cranberry Scrunch. Y- yes, yes. Uh, Bender, <laughs> Bendersnatch, uh, Cucumber bot- <laughs> Bottle. Whoever is Alan Turing in that movie. At the end of that movie, they talk about how when they bro- there was this argument because whenever you break a code whenever they broke the code the enigma code in the west you can't just go about that by by intercepting every single message and then doing something about it why because eventually they'll figure out that you broke their codes you didn't even let me think for i'm the so sorry why. i'm so sorry that you they'll eventually figure out that you broke their codes and then they'll change their codes so there's this really interesting like dynamic at play during the Second World War where after we broke the Japanese codes, we couldn't just go after every single Japanese ship that we knew was going to be out there because if they figured out that we broke their codes, they would change the codes and then we'd be starting from scratch. And so, the, but this night they, did, they decided they were going to send PT boats out uh, to try to intercept this, this shipment from the Tokyo Express. And so the plan was for PT-109 to head towards the destroyers in the Blackett Strait. The Blackett Strait. Before this had even happened, a larger detachment of, of American ships had been uh, dispatched to actually like engage them in like a battle, uh, and unfortunately had arrived an hour late. The Tokyo Express ships had made it by that ship, so now it was literally just up to Kennedy and a group of. He wasn't actually the commander; he was the not the lead PT boat in this experience. But now, it was, so they put they tasked a group of PT boats to go out and try to engage these these larger ships and blow them up to try to prevent them from resupplying the Solomon Islands. That's a scary mission anyway, if you think about it. Well, it was dead of night too. Well, still, yeah. And you're in a small PT boat, this tiny little quick boat and you're tasked with taking on these huge ones. Like that's scary. Not only that, imagine you can't, you can't have lights on. You can't do anything. It has to all be done Mm -hmm. in dark because if you have any lights on those boats will destroy you. 
So on August the 1st, a squadron of PT boats, one of which PT-109, led by John Kennedy, made its way for the Blackett Strait and into what would become perhaps the most famous small ship naval battle in American history. So each PT boat carried four, this is important, carried four torpedoes on it. All of the boats in the squadron combined had about 60 torpedoes total to try to attack four ships. Now, what was interesting about this is that these torpedoes that came in these tubes, they didn't find out till after the war, but most of them were defective. Oh, my God. Either they would, they would sink too low and shoot underneath ships, or they didn't have the right timing on them to be able to blow up when they were necessary. And they didn't fix oh. this issue until after the war was over. Now, you could still destroy something. You could still destroy a ship with them, but they were very defective. In all, something like 50% of these torpedoes that ever got fired ever did anything. Many of them just malfunctioned. 50% worked as they intended. 50% did not. Oh, my God. That's not scary at all. So, but again, they didn't know this, right? They didn't know this till after the war was over. But by 8.30 that night, all of the PT boats are in a position, and they divide up this PT squadron into four little divisions, and it's JFK and three other boats. Kennedy's division commander was a guy named Lieutenant Brantingham, or Brantingham. And so at at about 8.30, in between 8.30 and 1 o'clock, all of a sudden, they see these Japanese destroyers on the horizon. Not see them so much as they see them on their radar, Okay, and they know that they're there. And so they begin to to all of these divisions do fire their torpedoes and none of the torpedoes hit a destroyer of the 60 torpedoes that were fired that night or attempted to fire that night. None of them hit a destroyer that it was supposed to. Meanwhile, the small little division that Kennedy and the PT-109 was in. The commander of his small little division, Lieutenant Brandingham, who I talked about earlier, had seen on his radar that a destroyer was approaching and had, had driven out a mile away from the group of PT boats to try to engage the destroyers. But he didn't tell JFK that he was doing this. They were on radio silence because you don't want to be intercepted, right? It's all about stealth and it's all about sneakiness, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, he goes off. When Lieutenant Brandingham's PT boat attempts to fire on one of these destroyers, a fire erupts in the torpedo tube on his ship, causing another one of the PT boats have to come around and disguise him, right, to put their boat in front of it because the fire would do what? It would set off the alarms, the destroyers would see them, and blow them up. Now, you got to remember, radar back then was a new technology. It wasn't the kind of radar that we think about right now where we think, oh, it's on the radar. We can see 30 different things, and you can see the shape and the size or something. Mm -hmm. This was primitive, It often didn't work. It was faulty. Brand new technology. Remember, the the myth that carrots make your eyesight better was created during the Second World War to throw off the Germans to the idea that the the British had developed radar. All of a sudden, the other two, the two PT boats that I was talking about, one of the command of Lieutenant Brandingham, realized that they're made, right? And so ships PT boats had these devices that made thick smoke, thick plumes of smoke, because you would want to disguise, that's the only way on the open ocean that you could like disguise your position. And so they started pumping smoke, zigzagging away, and, uh, and literally left PT-109 behind hmm. with two other boats, or with another, at least one other boat. And now all of a sudden, it's late in the evening. What they were told on the radio before the other PT boats were left was, find a way to figure out how to fire your torpedoes. Once you fired your torpedoes, you can return to Rendova Island, okay? You and the other two PT boats can return to Rendova Island. But after that, radio silence. No 
connection, no communication. Now imagine you're out in the Pacific Ocean. Now there are islands around you. You can see different things. And there are four giant enemy ships that at any given time could see you and turn their massive guns in your direction and blow you out of the water. No, like the horror. That is terrible. So PT-109 does fire its torpedoes, but it's nothing. And by after midnight, PT-109 is idling around with one engine so as to remain quiet. And it was a moonless, cloudy night. Of course, they didn't have any lights on because they didn't want to be detected. When all of a sudden, off to the starboard bow, one of Kidney's men sees a giant ship barreling directly for PT-109. And then it becomes apparent that it is not going to move. Kennedy, in an attempt to defend himself, calls the crew together and tries to turn and rotate the PT boat in the direction of what would become to known as the Japanese destroyer Amagiri and fire one remaining torpedo that they had, and he called one of his ensigns to man the anti-tank weapons that were on the bow of the ship to fire back But it was too late because in less than a minute, the Amigiri tore the boat in two. The sheer force of this Japanese destroyer ripping the boat in two and the resulting sparks and all sorts of gunfire and things like that lit the fuel, the fuel tanks on fire, causing the the water to literally have fire on top of it because the fuel floats on top of the water. Two men on Kennedy's crew died instantly. Two more had burns on 70% of their bodies from being thrown into the water. And John Kennedy immediately goes into action. He swims out looking for survivors. Meanwhile, he's waiting on PT-169 and 162 to come rescue them. But apparently all they did was try to fire their torpedoes, missed, and then left the scene because they were afraid of being destroyed. Didn't go to look for survivors, didn't do anything. So Kennedy is literally by himself. Two men are dead. Two men are burning in the ocean. And there are six other guys, seven other guys who are also out. Kennedy himself individually is able to rescue three crew members, literally dragging them in the water to different pieces of the wreckage. And all in all, there are 11 survivors. And now they're alone. It's dark, except for the flames of the fire. There are two dead men Comes to be found out later, by the way, that the Amagiri had actually, the captain of the Amagiri had seen PT-109 and directly turned the ship to split it in two. And all of a sudden, you've got a group of 11 survivors, some of whom can't swim, two of whom are burned on 70% of their body, and all of whom have some kind of injury to them, not including John Kennedy, who has massive defects, of course, bodily defects and things of that nature. And they have to swim together to the nearest uninhabited island because there are Japanese bases on different little islands all around them and Japanese ships still moving in and out and about. Evading capture, they swim through shark and crocodile-infested waters. At one point, John Kennedy even having a life jacket piece, a piece of leather in his mouth, pulling one of the incapacitated sailors behind him until miraculously they make it to what was called Plum Pudding Island. And that's where we're going to stop. Oh, you jackass. That's a terrible spot to stop. Are you serious? Honestly, I have read this story a thousand times, and I have never been as enthralled as this, this performance by you. Honestly, 
Like this is so wild. So you so, often bill yeah. me as a as a history teacher and a, and a historian, which I am, but I'm actually a theater teacher by trade as well. So you guys, a man of many talents. <laughs> a man um, of many talents. The man, a ma- the, the ma- ma- a master the of none. Jeez, that's awesome. Without further ado, I'm gonna end this, and we're gonna pick up right here where we left off next week for part four. So join us then. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at Kennedy Dynasty. Make sure to check the show notes for my Amazon recommendation shop, for my merch shop, for YouTube, if you prefer to listen there. And we will continue next week. Back behind the Irishman was burned so badly he couldn't swim. Leave me here, go on, he said, cause if you don't, we'll all be dead. A man to die alone at sea And with a strap between his teeth He towed the Irishman to the sea Come on and vote for Kennedy Vote for Kennedy Keep America strong Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up History is the greatest adventure story. But does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts.